Hello, Belinda. Hi, Omar. What is this week's gratitude blooming theme? It's card number six, the dandelion representing tenacity. This is one of my favorite flowers. I feel like it's the underdog of the flower world. It like somehow gets uh, associated with weeds and things that you want to pull out. But I, I think it is an absolutely magical flower. And tenacity is the right sort of uh, theme for it as well. Beautiful tenacity, I'll say. Yeah, with the exclamation mark on the original artwork. I love that in season one, when we were talking about the dandelion, we literally traced it back to when the pilgrims were coming to America, this new land. They brought this medicinal plant because it was so healing and nourishing. and. yeah, kind of gives you a whole new perspective on tenacity. What does it take to bring this healing plant from one land to another by sea? Wasn't that so funny? Like from flower to medicinal herb to weed, how the one thing can be perceived in so many different ways. And and what I really appreciate is how uh, our incredible artist, Arlene Kim Suda, has really reconceived the art for uh, this flower. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to um, be a part of this project that felt so um, scary at first to uh, commit to doing a new drawing every week, but it's been... um, it's been surprising every week. So yeah, it's fun to go back to the dandelion and the theme of tenacity. And, you know, I've been given the gift that I can remember the actual plant that this is based on. So I do remember this um, dandelion just appearing on uh, Belinda's property in Mount Shasta and just saying, here I am. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Sketch. And I think that that's what sort of, I think, this piece, I can't wait to hear you describe it because this one, and I think uh, it was the I Ching sort of illustration, um, these two ones, I feel like you're pushing sort of your the boundaries of your art in these beautiful ways. Yeah, and this one is uh, inspired by an art by somebody that I had worked with. And I have a story for you all uh, about where the origin of this um, new art. Let's hear it. All right. I will always feel gratitude for having the opportunity to be an apprentice at Magnolia Editions, a fine art studio and printer in Oakland, California. I used to joke that I was like a stray cat that showed up at the door one day and I kept coming back every Tuesday. And every Tuesday would be the new best Tuesday ever. To me, Magnolia is a place where the possibilities born out of curiosity and wonder come to life in the real world. It is where we recreated 16th century Italian papermaking down to the details of experimenting with how to rot, essentially to rot, linen cloth, and the importance of using felt from the same type of sheep that were prevalent in the 16th century to form the sheets. I'm still in awe that I had a chance to participate in such a magical place and lend my hands to help on so many projects. 
The remixed art from the Gratitude Blooming Dandelion this week is an homage to a work that I used to see and admire every time I was in the studio. It is a work by Don Farnsworth, the co-owner of Magnolia. The work is large in scale, about five feet by four feet, and is called Origin, Specimens, number 11, part one. It was part of an in-depth and beautiful series where Don superimposed scientific specimens from the natural world against text from Charles Darwin's Origin of Species. Don is a master printmaker, artist, and collaborator, so every detail of his work is so carefully constructed and so visually stunning. They are so worth checking out if this week's art speaks to you. The text from Darwin's Origin of Species that I chose to use in my work from the section on the geometrical ratio of increase is a bit ominous, which makes me think of how courageous and bold it must have been for Darwin to write and publish the work. It is basically about how all life experiences a struggle for existence. It's like the struggle is built into the way life propagates. And there's something about the theme of tenacity and this dandelion, reimagined as a botanical drawing, that is basically saying, I accept the challenge and I'm ready to thrive and to keep going as best as I can. It is a reminder of the stark struggle of life and our natural capacity, even necessity, to adapt to it. It also feels like a reminder of how miraculous it is that we get to participate in each moment while we're here. I couldn't help but borrow the idea for this week's art. (sighs) There's so many reasons why I appreciate this art. And and I think hearing you and the backstory, and I think this is so incredible that we get to hear the backstory of each of these pieces. Um, I know for even like my daughters, when we go to museums, they love to, you know, get the audio recording that you can kind of bring around from piece to piece and like hear a little bit of like what was the inspiration from the art. And like, I feel like we're getting, we get the live version every week um, of like what is the feeling and inspiration and the motifs that you are drawing on and then creating something uniquely yourself. Um, but for me on this piece, well, it wasn't until I heard you talk about really it's this juxtaposition of nature and culture, right? That there's sort of this background text of sort of like a cultural lens on nature, right? And sort of this thing that we can look at through these perspectives of a weed, an herbal medicine, a beautiful transforming flower, a metaphor for life, and and just how are we constantly sort of recognizing and reconciling really something very basic, which is how are we looking at the world around us? And I feel like, Arlene, you're bringing new energy into the personality of, of these plants and their wisdom. You know, you you literally see this bright yellow and it matches the sweater that you're wearing today and on, on our Zoom. It's beautiful to see. And it's just very striking how um, nature is such a reminder of of life and also death, and they're all kind of one in the same. and And tenacity really teaches us to really consider, you know, what do you really care about? How do you want to spend 
this limited time, this precious time that we have on this earth and not take it for granted. And I just love this prompt that comes with the dandelion's wisdom. Can you appreciate the time and effort required to nurture the things you truly love? And Omar and Arlene, I feel like in this collaboration, that's probably the biggest gift I've received from both of you is just witnessing how you tend to the things that you truly love. Like Omar, your storytelling, your meaning making of the world, that's your map of life. And Arlene, the way that you constantly are showing up for the art in new ways that stretch you outside of your comfort zone. It's, um, it is this journey that we're all on together. <laughs> and how do we want to receive it or experience it, right? Well, I appreciate your very generous words around storytelling and, um, and I, you know, your tenacity of just diving in and really sticking to things, through things, with things, um, and then just how much heart you have to put into it. Um, and maybe that's, it's not even you have to, or maybe you do have to, right? Like you you are listening to something um, that you uniquely hear and you're willing to kind of uh, move mountains uh Maybe or go through. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> to see something through. So uh, it's it's a privilege to get to do that with you. And I love the prompt. I love um, that we tie tenacity to love. Right. I mean, it's sort of a reminder that you know it's worth it. It's all the you know all the trouble and the difficulty is worth it for the things that you really feel from your heart. So yeah, I, we've been watching the remake of the wonder years and uh sort of reconceived as this african-american family uh, in the 60s i think and there's this great line where the mother is telling her kid make sure you give out before you give up or maybe it was the dad but it was just and i i just i really that framing of give out before you give up because you just don't know really how far you go. And sometimes your mind is like, I give up, but really there's still some fuel in the tank. There's still actually some energy to keep going. And, you know, we recently were uh, up in uh, Banff Jasper and we did a, a longer hike than we were expecting. I think it ended up being like a, almost five hour uh, hike and, you know, over a thousand feet elevation. And my youngest daughter, usually she's can crank on these hikes. And for whatever reason, it was a little hot. There were extra mosquitoes around and we were getting bitten. Um, and it was a little bit more sparse of an environment than normal. And so she was struggling. She, you know, even there was a moment there were some tears um, and wanting to give up. And I was like, well, you, you know, if we, if you want to go back, we can certainly go back. Um, but I think you can do this and you, you have done this before. And so, you know, we kept sort of feeding her little snacks and water and just, she kept going, you know, and we get to this uh, summit where you can get, see these six glaciers um, pretty close. And there was a tea house 
So after, you know, three plus hours of hiking to then get to this like magical tea house, like it was like a dream come true to be able to climb a mountain and then have like a, like a full restaurant there that had fresh baked bread and soup and hot chocolate. Um, and so just, you never know, like, or you do, sometimes you do know and your body, you know, your mind wants to give up, but no, you can keep going. And I just, I think it was a testimony to what perseverance and tenacity can, can give you. Hey, Belinda, I love that we're growing more gratitude in the world. And part of the way that we're doing that is collaborating with other podcasts, including Better Place Project. Uh, I was recently a host on the show uh, talking about gratitude with Steve Norris. He and I got to talking about how do we just help promote and share what we want to see in the world. So yeah, we invite you to check out Better Place Project, where each week, They shine a light on amazing humans doing extraordinary things who share their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, and more purposeful lives, which is in such alignment with this whole podcast of collective acceleration through gratitude, nature, and art. So to add a little more joy and inspiration to your day, head over and subscribe to Better Place Project wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and for listen, you listeners that are out there tuning into this energy of tenacity, you know, really, what is it that you truly love? What is worth your time and your energy to nurture? This is the story of our incredible guest for this episode. And she is going to share with us her life story of how life forced her to slow down to uncover what she truly loves. And it was very unexpected in some ways and some very hard lessons along the way. So we're going to share this story uh, bit by bit. And before we start, Omar, I'd love for you to just introduce Radhika Vakaria, a beautiful soul that we got to speak with. She's uh, an amazing artist uh, and singer who, you know, has played on stage with, you know, folks like Prince, uh, traveled around the world, uh, born in the UK, but with African and Indian roots. Um, You know, she really has found incredible expression through her art and in ways that I think were unexpected and sort of non-traditional and like trusting that sort of non-traditional route. Like, so even I think it's interesting, like you always think about artists as risk takers. Um, But also there's sometimes, particularly sort of when you have a commercial orientation, um, there's a, hey, this is what's mainstream and what's acceptable even for an artist. And so to really sort of buck commercial interests and really kind of seeing and uh, express what is true. Uh, Radhika has an incredible journey. So let's hear from her voice about that journey of uncovering what she really loves, what she's meant to do. When I look back on my past to everything that I've done, life forced me to be slow. Mm-hmm. It forced me to really understand who I am. And what I'm meant to express, not what I'm meant to do, but what I'm meant to express here um, from my core. When I was young, I wanted to be a doctor. 
I wanted to heal people. I wanted to be a cancer specialist, actually. And um, I didn't take that path much because my father, surprisingly for an Asian father, said, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and I said, are you sure you're Indian? <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, it was it was very surprising. And But he basically said to me, um, if you do this, you won't get to do all the other things and be all the other things that you love being and doing. This will take 12 to 14 years of your life. And so I took a different path and I I went with what I'd always loved since I was like born is music. I was singing perfect melodies before I could speak. And I went on this long route of music. I've traveled the world. I've played with very big artists. I've had such great uh, opportunities to experience things. And, you know, it's been a long journey. It hasn't been an overnight thing by any means. And going back to this prompt, you know, one day I was saying to a friend of mine, sometimes I really regret not being a doctor. I really regret because my natural my natural space is to just go and be with people and provide help and support. And they said something very beautiful to me. And they said, you're doing that with your music. And that has taken time for me to nurture that because I... I honestly resisted doing mantra music. I resisted because all of the uh, the um, the impressions that doing this kind of music can give, you know. And I resisted it. But sometimes what you resist persists and there's a reason for it. And so it's taken me a long time. And I had to realize that what I'm doing with music is coming from the same exact place as when I was little and I wanted to be a doctor. Sometimes the path to finding what is your true love is not a linear one. And it takes other people to be your mirror, to say, hey, I don't think that's right for you. This is who you are at the core. Do you believe it? And just how there's so many different ways in which something can be expressed. Uh, I'm appreciating. And, and I think that um, it's also interesting to hear the mirror of what we resist persists and tenacity. I feel like those are two sides of the same hand, which is when to let go and when to hold on and, and sometimes when to be held, right? Like and sometimes uh, what we're resisting, we're being held by. Uh, and really what does it mean to then accept and, and through that be able to actually let go? And it's interesting, Arlene, that you put the exclamation mark on the word tenacity because there is this energy of tenacity that is very bright and loud and strong. And yet, depending on the life cycle of that dandelion, there's times, there are times when it's very, very soft when you're blowing that dandelion puff. And it is that gentleness of your breath that pollinates this power. So it's a really interesting dynamic. What comes up for you, Arlene, as you're revisiting and listening to the story of Radhika? Yeah, what a beautiful, she has a beautiful voice and what a beautiful story that she's sharing with everyone. And yeah, I could say, you know, with the dandelion, like I, uh, like I said before, just revisiting the original drawing, it's I remember this flower. And so 
that exclamation mark came from the flower. It was really like it had this energy around it. And um, at that moment, that is um, what the dandelion wanted to speak. So how does life then shape you when you start to get clues about this love and this passion? Is it over yet? Is it all easeful from here? Well, from Radhika, we learned that it's a series of humbling experiences, eating that humble pie over and over again. And she's going to share a bit about, you know, the journey after having this revelation of this is my true love. I love to sing. I love to heal through my voice. I think that when you realize who you are, oftentimes it is because you've been through a succession of experiences where life has humbled you. Life is a guru. It's a teacher. And um, I've had some slaps. I've had the cane whipped out. More from not honoring really who I am and doing what I thought I should do. I've uh, been fortunate to travel a bit. I was born in London. I saw a lot from a young age. You know, my family, uh, my parents are from East Africa. My grandparents are from India. I was also exposed to a lot of the realities of the world, you know, not in the West. And not to say that the West doesn't have its own set of problems. But with my creativity, with my creative journey, when I look back, I find that the things that I was doing a lot of the time were not resonant with who I who I was. They just weren't. I was making music. You, you know, you go into music in the Western, in a Western society. I was born in London. And I was doing music that was around me. You know, I was going on that track that, you know, this is the kind of music everybody loves. This is, you know, what we do. And I didn't really take notice or take heed of my music that I'd been exposed to as a child, which is Eastern, a lot of Eastern music. And any time, it's really funny when I look back at it now, any time that I was in a project, that I was making music according to what other people said we should do, the whole situation would combust. Something would happen. Um, a relationship went sour. Uh, the record wasn't received, you know, as well as I wanted it to be. You know, it just, it just would combust. I remember I was finding it really more and more tough to kind of fit into that mold because I still wasn't listening, right? I still wasn't listening. The path of knowing your passion then leads to having to be in alignment, internal alignment with yourself. And wow, how challenging is that as an artist and a musician where you're constantly being evaluated based on external metrics outside of you? Yeah, definitely. How do we bring into alignment these things? And and she, I remember she said something about it's not the doing, but where we are doing it from. And, you know, I think sort of remembering kind of what, where are we anchored? Where are we kind of tethered? You know, we uh, recorded an interview this week, which um, I'm looking forward to sharing because it's when we can kind of become aware of where we're coming from, then it's easier to sort of see what our perspective is. Right. And like, in some ways that's, you know, you talk about Darwin and, and, you know, how did he document his perspective? 
right? And I think part of sometimes the challenge is that we take perspective as gospel, as it's sort of like, it is only this way versus a conversation, like something that is constantly changing. And as we change, how we perceive things change and that changes our relationship to it. Uh, And so just sometimes we forget that, right? Because we're sort of forced away from nature and into sort of like, oh, I need a job. I need an income. I need, you know, uh, to pay some bills. Uh, And then it's sort of like, well, let me then sort of conform uh, to do that. And, you know, and that takes a different kind of tenacity, right? To sort of kind of push through. Um, and and so it, it's not that there's a right or a wrong. It's like, oh no, be an artist and be free or no, like, you know, just show up each and every day, kind of get things done and be present to what and who you can. Uh, it's all, you know, a struggle. It's just which struggle do we want to be in? And the listening and paying attention, uh, you know, this part of her story is really resonant for me too, as an entrepreneur, there, there's so many times where there's this attachment to seeing something, an outcome, an external outcome, a validation. And, and then life kind of starts to give you a lot of breadcrumbs of like, well, I'm going to throw this thing out there. And can you start to eventually see the patterns that, you know, this isn't quite working. And, you know, it's just her story of just projects where, it wasn't quite right. And she was trying to, you know, appeal to a Western music audience and things would just combust. It's interesting how there's clues around, you know, the wayfinding. Like, you know, sometimes things are meant to be hard as a as a growth cycle. And then other times it's like, is this unnecessarily <laughs> hard? Am I am I resisting something where I'm causing myself more pain and suffering? That's the discernment. <laughs> yeah, and it's not black or white at all. It's um, really hard to discern sometimes. And and interesting when then you eventually have to hit this rock bottom point, you know, the peak in the valley to really get to the realization. And so Radhika is going to talk a little bit of that process as well as like, what? where is the light at the end of the tunnel? How do you get there? my epiphany actually came from an amazing experience. It ended up being a little heartbreaking in some ways, but the precursor to it was actually very enlightening. I went to a a random audition for something uh, in London. It was completely random. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I'd, you know, done some piano gigs with. And they said, um, Radhika, are you, are you free this afternoon? Can you come to a warehouse in King's Cross. Now, first of all, King's Cross was a very sketchy area at that time. So when someone asks you to come to a warehouse in King's Cross, <laughs> uh, you should say no. <laughs> and, um, but, but this was a friend. So I turned up and, um, I ended up meeting an American, uh, musical director there. And I thought, who's this strange American man who's, um, I have no idea who this person is. And I ended up auditioning and, um, Three weeks later, I was in Germany singing in four different languages, like Tamil, Hindi, Bengali, and English, singing a repertoire of songs that were Peter Gabriel, Sting, A.R. Rahman, who's a very famous Indian producer, composer. And I was doing a show that was Indian culture meets Cirque du Soleil. 
<laughs> so this was like a dream come true. This was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I was working with some of the best people in the world, you know, Cirque du Soleil people, Franco Dragon people, um, and marinating in the sounds and, and the culture of my heritage. You know, you can get complacent and you can, you can begin to form expectations around how things are going when they feel good. Even, and I remember on my birthday and things seem to, things, big things seem to happen around my birthday. It's very interesting. It's February the 11th, something about two. I got news that the show completely folded. There was some bad business in the background and I was stranded in Germany told to get out of the hotel there was no other night stay all of us were being just abandoned literally abandoned literally abandoned whole crew from india all of us musicians from all over the world and it was a crushing moment mm. absolutely crushing because it was the highest high of my life it was a high and this was the lesson i crashed from the high found myself back in england i thought my god what do i do i'd broken up with my partner you know, I just didn't know what to do. I'm struck by how the lowest point came from the highest point and how it was an invitation to actually do the thing that she was meant to express. This singing in her own, from her own Eastern heritage. And, and that can be really confusing when you're feeling like you're at the top of the world and then it comes crashing down. Well, I also appreciate sometimes is she just went all in though as well. And she experienced that high, not because she was cautious or she was worried about sort of whether or not it was going to kind of sustain itself or move forward. You know, she allowed herself the full abandon of appreciating it. And, you know, it certainly makes then the rug pulling that much more difficult, but at the same time, she did experience. You know, it's like it's better to have loved and lost than never have loved at all, which is one of those paradoxes. Yeah, I think that's what makes the pursuing your love so challenging sometimes, you know, because you love it so much. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm bound to get hurt by it in the process. And I, you, you know, I feel like that in the course of the seven years with Gratitude Blooming. It's like, oh, I love this thing so much. And Ooh, it's painful, this process of not knowing what's going to happen with this baby. <laughs> See, baby, it's it's uh, seven years old. It is not a baby anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing you learn as a parent is that as soon as you think you figured it out, the kid has changed and, you know, is on to some new thing. And you're like, oh, man, I just figured out what the last thing was. And now I got to figure out this new thing. Hmm. Yeah, how do you get back into the path of alignment when when the rug gets, you know, pulled from under you? So let's let's get this part of the journey. You know, how do you recover from that high and and being crushed by it? When I moved to America, within the first 3 months, I was a, you know, doing songwriting. I I did this whole I'm not going to sing again. I came here and said, I'm no longer going to sing. All I'm going to do is write. I made this vow, you know, this kind of defiant vow to the heavens um, because the singing in the show crushed me so much. But as I was doing songwriting sessions, something inside me wasn't feeling good. I was contracting and I felt really worried that I'd move my life 
I moved across the world and I wasn't feeling good. And um, it forced me to start saying no. I started saying no to the things that didn't resonate with me anymore. But I had to get to a hard place. You know, I had to get to a place of feeling lonely, um, feeling like, did I do the right thing? You know, I've come all the way to the States. And it, it, it was tough. It was very, very tough. I felt very abandoned. But there's a beautiful thing that happens in that space of abandonment is that you really have to turn to yourself. You really have to turn to yourself. You had to turn to yourself from this place of abandonment. That's a clue to get back into alignment. Like it felt like that was the final, you know, slap from the universe to be like, hey, do you see when you're when this is not right for you, when you feel this contraction? And I love that she described it in her body. This no, stop. It was that visceral in her body to stop. There's this great Zen practice of upon receiving a vase and the monk slaps the vase. And you know, the point is to reveal any cracks because the purpose of a vase is to hold something. But until you slap it, you don't know how much it can really hold and or where sort of maybe the weak points are and and what needs to be mended uh and healed. And so I just there's that that's just a powerful image of the universal the universe slapping you and sort of seeing like okay what am i really meant to contain what am i really meant to hold uh and make sure that i'm clear uh on where there may be some fractures and where might some mending or healing be necessary i'm curious for you omar and arlene you know i feel like we've all taken very unconventional routes and this is why there's such resonance with radika's story of just going for what she loves as part of the purpose, you know, her purpose in the world. And I'm curious, how does that resonate for you? How do you find alignment again when when you get the rug thrown, pulled from under you? There's so much in her story that she's sharing. Just, um, I'm so curious, you know, I'm sort of on the edge of my seat listening to to all the wisdom that she has, but that that sense of abandonment and that you could, you know, forces that, that the abandonment forces you to go within. I just think that um, for me, I see it as imagery. That imagery is so powerful. Um, and Omar, you, the, the story about like slapping the vase, like that just feels like so, um, I c- it feels visceral to me, you know, like the universe slapping you to see, you know, you know, what you, you know, to get you ready to like contain what you need to contain. So I don't know, those those two things are sort of resonating with me in creating um, kind of like a imagery and a story. So uh, I, I really appreciate um, um, those imaginative um, descriptions. There's a great saying by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson that, discontent is the want for self-reliance. And I know for myself, whenever I feel discontent, it really is about me kind of not feeling like I have the self-reliance or the self-determination to really do what I want. 
that there's a disconnect. Um, and, and so then it's really trying to be clear, like, okay, what is, what is holding me back from my self-reliance? Right. Is it financial? Is it, you know, community? Is it, you know, my own sort of focus? Um, and, and really then sort of trying to sort of see how to reconcile it. And it's taken a long time to like learn how to listen to that discontent. Um, and, and sometimes that discontent is because your expectations aren't matching sort of what you think should happen. Um, and, and so then the question is, is do you change what you think should happen and sort of accept what is, or do you sort of persevere and try to change your circumstances uh, to create what it is that you really want? And that's, I think the dance um, is winning is knowing when to sort of accept what is versus, you know, uh, change uh, the environment. But either way, I think learning for me is like, Oh, I am discontent. I need to really pay attention. Yeah. And, and how back to, you know, how do we really see all the sides of something like abandonment is, it feels painful. It's like, Oh my gosh, I'm left behind. You know, I'm alone and that's scary. And, and it's dark. And then the other side of that is, can you be at peace with yourself? fundamentally right like we come into this world alone we leave this world alone and I remember the conversation when we talked with Radhika about this like it her her cycle kind of took a different turn where she really took that abandonment and flipped it into her own relationship with self and what is true and what is honest in her and I feel like there's no, no one can do that for us besides ourselves. And so how do you create a practice where you can be comfortable with that aloneness in a way where that can be the compass? It's almost like cultivating that internal compass for, the, for our own wayfinding. And so we're going to share what her practice was, you know, in that alone time of Okay, I'm alone. How do I be with that? Even when we're going through challenges, even when we're going through challenges, it is important to prepare, just like when you're cooking a meal, where you prepare the ingredients for the meal. We heat the pan, you know, slowly, then we put the oil. There's a whole ritual. There's a whole ritual that happens. So for me, it incorporates um, lighting of things, honoring the elements, because that's our whole existence is made up of the five elements. Um, so there are aspects of that. And then there's m- certain mantras that I do that are particular for me. And they are more um, in the traditional style of mantras, not sung like they are in my albums, but much more of a, um, a kind of concise meter that I do them in. And the beautiful thing about that is that no, mon- no matter what's going on in your mind, um, the power of mantra, it's it's a vibratory practice. And if we believe that, if we subscribe to the idea that we are energy and our cells are vibrating with a certain energy, it's important to speak things and utter things that resonate with a high potential and a, and, and a high level of beauty and an expansion. And then when we repeat those things, 
um, according to the the power of those words, and the power of that mantra, when you repeat it, you at a cellular level begin to respond and resonate with the vibration, the qualities of what those syllables are and what they manifest as. So you become the mantra. You become the qualities that that mantra says to you. And that is a very beautiful and simple way of getting out of your mind and dropping into your heart. And that is a beautiful way to uh, be honest, come from a place of honesty in your heart. So for this week, let's connect in with our powerful heart that does not need to be protected by listening to the words and the song of Radhika. She's going to share a mantra that will help us connect in with our heart, to open up our hearts through our breath. So as you listen to her beautiful healing voice, you can put your hand gently to your heart and focus from the mind and bring it down into your breath and your heart as you inhale and exhale and receive her words. many years ago said something very beautiful um, and uh, we talk about prana and we talk about air and we breathe in yoga and um, she she kind of expressed that you know that the lungs are like wings they're like the wings of the heart hmm. so when you breathe and you sing and you utter and you exercise your lungs saying words of a higher vibration and the more that your lungs expand and contract the higher those wings can take you and the higher your heart can fly and i thought that was so incredibly beautiful i got goosebumps right your lungs are your wings to your heart and imagine that's a new title yeah 
The hot gives us courage. The more expanded and in the heart we are, actually, the more brave we are. And actually, it's there to help protect others. I don't believe that the heart needs protecting. The heart is strong. Imagine this this thing beats without any effort from us. Do you think it needs protecting? It's there for us. Let it be there for you. It is strong. It goes on for, if you're lucky, 70, 90, 100, 110 years without plugging it into a wall and a charger. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't need a charger, right? The only charge it needs is love and Mm. connecting with the universe. I feel like how we charge the heart is through the breath. That's how we charge the heart. And when we do that, we don't need to protect it. It's unbreakable. And I feel like the heart breaks. The expectations of what we had in our lives and the relationships that we wanted, those break. But the heart cannot break. It's a part of you that will never break. Just like the soul will never break. So let it. It protects you. I, When I started leading from my heart, when I started to realize, like, I want to give love, and this is my purpose through music, through meeting amazing people like you. Why do I need to be protected? I don't need to be protected. Mm. There's no fear. I just, I like the piece where she was talking about um, the heart is the vase, lungs are like the wings of the heart, and that the more they expand and contract, the higher our hearts can fly, and it's not about protecting your heart um you know the heart is courageous the heart doesn't need protecting in fact it's protecting you uh and the heart is recharged with love and breath and that hearts don't break only our expectations because i think so often like just as i think that we think about being heartbroken but we never think about mind broken right like what are what are the expectations of our mind and you know and sometimes we don't allow ourselves to fully experience something because we're worried that it might not go the way that we want and so we don't sort of fully relish the moment and the experience like she went to germany and fully relished the experience because she wasn't worried about whether or not it was actually going to kind of be a success and you know and and it ended not being a success but she still had that full moment And her heart never broke. Her expectations broke. Her mind was broken. But it's really our heart is, you know, and the word heart, you know, shares the same sort of etymology as courage. And that I love this idea that when we lead with our hearts, we're not worried about our hearts being broken. In fact, our hearts are protecting us. And so what does it mean to really be heartful, right? We talk about mindful. How do we be heartful? How do we be heartful? How do we be heartful? Thank you for a beautiful practice. Wishing you well. Lots of love. Cheers. Cheers.